Welcome into TFW Live, the best kept secret in fantasy football, where we keep that week one feeling going all year long. I'm Big Travi. I'm joined here by my best friends, Johnny Game Time Hicks and Austin Sear. And a big welcome to you, Whisper Nation. What is up? As always, we got to shout you all out in the chat Albert, Mike, Freak, Slim Reaper, the crew, and all of you that will be joining later. And we got to give a shout out to the newest members of Whisper Nation, those who subscribed or followed us on social media. Joel Worth, Rob Haig, uh, Rose, I think it's Rosella Ganol, uh, K4MB underscore six, Tony Zima, Luke at B Roto Fantasy, and Marco Enriquez. Uh, and if you love fantasy football, you want to join a community where you feel like you belong, you know you belong, hit that subscribe button on the YouTube channel. We're trying to get just one more subscriber on this stream. Just one more. Could be you. If you're new, let us know where you're streaming from. We will shout you out right here on the show. Today's episode, though, we're joined by another very special guest, our guy, Doctor of Physical Therapy, Edwin Porras from Fantasy Points. You can get his work over at FantasyPoints.com or by following him at on Twitter at FBInjuryDoc. Edwin, how are you, my man? I am fantastic, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, I'm really excited to talk about some of the stuff that you that you've listed on the show sheet here. And you guys are organized. You are mobilized, and I'm impressed. Let's yeah, we appreciate it. it. Yeah, man, we awesome. appreciate it. You can uh, catch some of Edwin's work in the description if you're watching on YouTube. So make sure you click those links. And we're excited to get into that. But before we do, Edwin. We want to talk a little bit about you, you personally, and some of your relationship with fantasy football, food, other things, a little bit of rapid fire questions here. So if you're down, we're going to let Whisper Nation get to know you a little bit better here, and we'll start it off. Do you root for your NFL team or your fantasy team more? This is going to be an unpopular opinion. I root for my fantasy team more. Now, if it's a, <laughs> if it's a playoff game or with a playoff implication, then I can live with the result, right? But typically what I find myself doing is – fence sitting and if the net outcome is my team wins and i got a lot of fantasy points in the process and i'm happy but if i had to shade it one way or the other i'm probably 51 percent fantasy team and uh, diehard nfl fans are not going to like to hear that but i mean hey man i've got some stuff i've got i've got some investments here i've got, I've got some <laughs> emotional investments right some financial investments perhaps so uh, yeah I'd, I'd say i'd say a shade to the nfl team okay all right i'm sorry what? to the fantasy not the NFL. NFL. yeah 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 what year did you start playing fantasy football, Edwin? If I were to remember what year it was, I want to say it was either 2014 or 2015. I was really bad. I, I was drafting in a place where I didn't have great service. And I think I ended up taking like Tebow in the third or something because it was auto draft for some reason. And I remember the team being horrendous, but still trying to like chip my way into the playoffs, which I ended up doing. Uh, I ended up that was a year. I don't know how old you guys are. That was the year that Justin Forsett and <laughs> CJ Anderson. Travis boy. Yeah. Were, yeah. Were waiver wire pickups. I got them both. Yeah. And so oh, I ended up having this terrible team. Hey. I was anchored by those two dudes. And I, and I fell in love with the process of actually mm. start trying to rebuild a team. And if I'm reflecting, I think that's when I really fell in love with this game mm. is just the process of, of going through that. I think I ended up getting like second, but uh, I, I just remember being like, Oh, this is fun. Like you can just build this. 
And honestly, you're probably better for it. Like that being your first effort is like learning the nuance of like, like you said, building a team. I think it's so important because every time we think we just have to nail the draft and move on. So, but speaking on a player level, how about your favorite fantasy football player of all time, Edwin? Favorite fantasy football player of all time. There's a few different ways you could categorize that. Does it have to? I feel like the cliche stereotype would be somebody that helped me win a lot. Mm. And if that's the case, I'm going to say Le'Veon Bell. The following year, I drafted Le'Veon Bell. I think he got injured. But um, no, you know what? I'm going to change my answer, but still on a very similar track. D'Angelo Williams. <laughs> oh, okay. no. nice. Yeah. Will. I, like that I had a nice little season. I won the championship. I remember that, that was the, the uh, my home league, the first year I won the championship. D'Angelo Williams was the engine of that team. That was exciting. So I'm going to say. No, you're going to say Justin Forsett. I was going to be like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, oh, all those dude. dudes, top five for sure. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Miyagi coming in with Jordy Nelson. That's a good one, too. Least favorite fantasy football player of all time. Doesn't have to be someone who costs you money, but just least favorite for you. I don't want to say least favorite, right? Because I don't dislike (laughs) players per se. I don't know the players. I can't say that I dislike them. I think the number one guy that has burned me the most, and I'm going to twist the answer here uh, because everybody knows, everybody who follows me or has followed me for any amount of time knows how much I obsess over this guy. I'm going to say Saquon Barkley. He burned me, man. I love the guy to death. I'm back on him again this year. I was heavy on him last year. He he burned me. So I'm going to say I'm the most disappointed. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> oh, dude, that's, that's worse, man. Yeah, 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 dude. Do you have a favorite fantasy football team name? No, I don't. I think some of them are really funny. And then they just get overused, and then they're not funny anymore. Yeah. I, I remember thinking – uh, about I think it was take me home Pat Mahomes or back road whatever Pat Mahomes like that one was really funny to me for some reason um, I think some of them are, are really overused my favorite ones are the ones that are novel for like that year if they combine like a random person's like team for that year and they're only there for a year like those one-offs are usually the funniest ones like a cultural meets that player then then right 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 that year yeah uh, what is a sound or noise that you love a sound or noise that I love. I can't say I've ever been asked that. That's why you come on. I mean, that's the hard hitting questions here. A sound or a noise. Well, first of all, then I'm going to continue to play this. These are supposed to be rapid fire. You're gonna, you guys are going to be tired of me. What is the difference between a sound and a noise? Oh, that's a good question. Oh, a noise. I think it's because you said a sound or a noise. Well, so I'm going to press you there. Has to be vocal. No, maybe not. I don't know. That's a that's a good question. That's, that is a good question. I'd have to. I think Austin's looking it up. It's right an now. or. Yeah. It's an yeah. or. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I'm gonna say I like the sound of the cash app. It's a great sound, isn't it? Oh, there we go. Ooh, yeah, right. yeah, dude. I, yeah. A little like Pav. A little Pavlov's yeah. reference. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> How about favorite swear word? Uh, I'm a big F-bomb guy, but I tr- I've been trying to lay off. I think that it, when it really warrants a nice little F-bomb, you can throw it in there, but that's one of my, my favorite swear words. Uh, it's it's kind of like the team that. names. You don't want to overuse it, like keep it novel. Keep right, it right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yep. What are the most leagues you've played in in one time? I try to keep it under control <laughs> because um, I have so much other stuff going on. I think last year I, it was – it was either nine or or eleven, nine or eleven. It was somewhere between nine and eleven that I was playing in. 
Um, yeah, when it's that many and you can't remember, I think then we're at the, yeah. at the point, right? I think that's yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Most exciting moment in fantasy football tied to uh, fantasy football for you. Like an individual moment, right? Yeah, yeah. Could be a player. We've had people discuss a moment that, you know, the industry helped them get into any of that. One of my favorite fantasy football moments was probably – Again, I'm going to tie it back to uh, to one of my favorite players, Le'Veon Bell, who when he was with the Steelers, I remember they – it was like fourth down. This was like 2016. Maybe you guys remember this. I don't even remember who they were playing against. It was an overtime game, and Mike Tomlin decided we're going to line up a Wildcat, Le'Veon Bell on the backfield, and he's literally just going to run this in. Everybody knows it's fourth down. I think it was overtime. We're going to run this in. Everybody knows that we're going to run this in, but I'm going to hand him the ball and he's going to run it in anyway. And then that's exactly what happened. I just remember that being attached to my fantasy team, but I remember watching that game and just being like, oh my gosh. Like the, was the, it against uh, Baltimore? It, was against, it might have been. It might have been one of those classic Baltimore-Pittsburgh games. Was yeah. this at the end of the season? Like championship week? Yes, yes. They like got, when I lost to Tucker? Oh, yep. no. That was it, dude. That was it. Oh, that in was the championship it. game? Juxtaposition yes. is, is... Was that the same one? Off. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of that moment. Like 40 on that game. I'm not continually blinking <laughs> yeah. all the time. <laughs> we'll move on here to save Austin any more pain. Yeah, right. Favorite game day beverage for you, Edwin. You know what? I've really been... Per- Since claws have been introduced into the ether... They've been uh, kind of my, I want to say my drink of choice because, I mean, once you get older, right, those hangovers aren't the same. Those calories hit different. You really got to pay attention to what you, those sugars hit different. Typical um, doctor answer on the pod. Yeah. I mean, right. So I know a lot of medical people and they they tend to drink seltzers. And yeah. I think that's mm-hmm. our, our, it's really a rationalization of hey, what it is. It's science. I mean, I'm drinking alcohol at the end of the day. Yeah, right? We're healthy. Like, but, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Healthy, like skinny, yeah, yeah. skinny drinks or whatever you want to call it like ultimately and some people i know end up pounding like eight or nine of them because they're you know like five percent alcohol so it's like what are you even doing <laughs> You're i'm being that. healthy yeah. that's what i'm doing healthy, healthy 18 times yeah uh boneless or bone in for your wings oh bone in 100 thank you kickoff is in two minutes and you're still working out your flex here are you going to go with the rankings that you trust or are you going to go with your gut more often rankings with your trust i'm I'm rarely still setting lineups two minutes in. I'm usually deciding like, this is the process is what I'm going to go with. And if it works out, it works out. Oh. Fair enough. Uh, what is your favorite position so far to draft from for 2022? Haven't even done a mock draft. Haven't oh, even whoa. done a mock draft. I, I'm set up in the injury prone invitational where I have a handful of my, of my good friends in the industry. I am number f- five and I don't like that spot in theory. Okay. Just looking through some of the stuff that I have to sort through at that little range. Right. Um, I don't like that five spot. I think I like the, I'm thinking about this and I think I would probably like a, like a back half pick Hmm. either the first or obviously either 1.01 or like a back half pick, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Right on. Well, we're going to see what it's like to mock draft for 24 straight hours at the end of this month, July 23rd and 24th, let's take a look. Maybe. 
Mock draft marathon. What is this? It's consecutive mock drafts for a total of 24 hours. Requires hours and even years of preparation. Which is a little bit controversial, but- Are you shitting me, Johnny? I didn't plan that, I swear. I can pretty much say 100%. Something that you really love to do. Let the games begin. Somebody came in and stole Johnny and they're hijacking his draft. Are you gonna blame it on a 78 year old neighbor? Damn it, you guys stuck in a super flex? I knew it. Ball is gonna taste different than this meatball. That's not that bad from a flex. Outliers decide fantasy. Stand out above the crowd. About the same set of 200 players, and it never gets old. That's right, July 23rd, 24th. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel so you can join us as we mock with the best in the industry, and we do it for 24 hours. So get on that subscription. All right, we're going to move through some news and notes here, mixing a little bit of injury talk with some of these guys. Um, but the biggest one, it dropped yesterday. We got to talk about Baker Mayfield. Because Let's go. The Panthers have traded for Cleveland Browns, former Cleveland Browns, number one overall pick, Baker Mayfield. So, Johnny, I'll give you the floor here because your guy finally found a team. So we'll talk a little bit about Baker. Before, I want to ask Doc a, a question real quick. Oh, uh, I'm just yeah, going to go say, you know, this is excellent news. I'm super excited for DJ Moore. Let DJ Moore season rain. And, uh, hey, I'm saying week one, baby, revenge game against Cleveland. Couldn't draw it up with any more drama. You, we love the NFL because of the drama, and this just adds to it. Let's go, Baker. Let's show all those haters in Cleveland what they're going to miss out on by going with Deshaun Watson, who will most likely be out there the whole year. Well, uh, we know Baker should be on track, right, to come back from that surgery, uh, Edwin, that he had on his shoulder. That was his non-throwing shoulder, if I, if I remember correctly, right? So any concern you have for, for Baker at all in this rehab process based on the timeline or anything like that? Uh, no, I'm not concerned about it. It's a relatively benign injury after you get it fixed, especially for a quarterback on his non-dominant side, unless he's doing dumb things like trying to make a tackle again, which we know that he might end up doing. But uh, I'm a little intrigued at the excitement. I mean, you would think, Johnny, you'd think that they just signed, you know, prime Patrick Mahomes here. He's still Baker Mayfield. Can he throw the ball down the field? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of curious where this well, is coming. Well, let's hopefully this causes Robbie. What would your reaction be if it was Patrick Mahomes? Like, would you have your shirt and pants off at this point? Because that <laughs> no, was quite hey, hey, hey. doesn't like Patrick Mahomes. No, no, Talk about yeah, his yeah, seasonal no. regression. Hey, he, no, yeah, he thinks that's a downgrade compared yeah, to Baker. Exactly. No, I, I just think that Baker is an underrated quarterback. I'm not saying he's the greatest quarterback out there. I'm not, and like Travis kind of laughed at me because I was like, oh, Baker Mayfield is better than half the league. And then I started listing the guys uh, that I would rather have, and I couldn't get to half the league yet. Um, <laughs> but I just think that he's underrated. I love it when he plays with a chip on his shoulder, and I love the passion that Baker brings. And I also think he's getting a little bit of bad rapport because of, uh, you know, OBJ and then, you know, what his dad put out. So I'm excited for him, too, because I, I have been or I'm a huge Sooners fan as well. So I've been watching him all through his college career. And I'll tell you nothing. It, it is so fun to watch this guy when he has that chip on his shoulder and he feels like he has to prove it to the world. It's fun football to watch him play. Uh, so I'm excited for that. And like I said, I uh, do have DJ Moore. Uh, in dynasty so you know i do have a little bias towards getting a better quarterback in there for dj Moore. just just really quick i just want to make sure i'm hearing you right uh you are we're talking about the bad reports connected to odell beckham like when 
Baker Mayfield was refusing to throw the ball to mm-hmm. his best receiver. Or yeah. throw, I, overthrowing him. What does that mean for DJ Moore? <laughs> well, DJ Moore doesn't run the same routes locally, so that's oh. good. DJ oh. Moore. DJ Moore. Sure it was the routes. The, no, it Baker. definitely, it definitely hitting. was because he had no problem hitting uh, our, our our Donovan Peoples Jones. He was actually, and you can go check this. Baker Mayfield, believe it or not. Not last year because he had the torn labrum. I don't believe that. Or the year before, he was number two in money throws, which is a huge stat. And the year before that, he was fourth in big money throws. So he is a good quarterback. He can get it down the field and on target. It's just Baker Mayfield is a different type of receiver. And I don't think he was necessarily used to that. Yeah, yeah, what did OBJ. I say? Yeah, OBJ. Yeah, it's all, it's all good. Oh, we got oh. you. So we'll see how it plays really out when we're – Wide receivers, John. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, Jarvis. Well, I, think, I think there's definitely an ego thing at play, and they both had plenty of ego, and maybe there just wasn't space for that. But neither of them lasted in Cleveland, so we'll just see. Can what we happens. also say like Baker? Baker what if Carolina. what if OBJ? There were plays where like they broke down film, and OBJ was not running the right route. Baker was throwing the right throw, and well, I'm interested in your that. cut up that you put out on Twitter regarding that. But oh, uh, yeah. we'll, we'll move on here. Yeah. The way, the one last thing I did want to say on this one, though, I think we do. What's the common element that we see with all of these problematic situations? It's Cleveland. Yes. <laughs> That's true. Facts. Yeah. So avoid yeah. Cleveland unless yeah. flying in for the FF Expo, which we're apparently going to do. Corderell Patterson is in the news here, basically because of the athletics. Josh Kendall says expecting CPAT to be fully available to able carry a full load at running back this season is overly optimistic. Edwin, I wanted to ask you, because in my, you know, uh, ba- ass backwards brain, I'm trying to think, okay, well, if he's only been a running back really for the last year, maybe he doesn't really have the typical mileage a 31 year old is going to have at the running back position. So is there a way to actually make it, like he's not he I, I don't know. Is there a, a counter narrative to what Josh is saying here that you could get on board with CPAT? You know, because he, he did seem to have um, longevity issues last year where he slowed down. But I'm wondering if maybe another year under his belt actually could help. I don't know. I think there are a couple of different ways you need to look at this conversation. Everybody needs to look at this conversation to be more evidence based. Right. So there are a couple of studies done on NCAA college running backs and NFL running backs. And what you essentially find is no correlation between college touches and NFL um, longevity, career longevity. Whoa. NCAA touches carries among running backs who see 250 plus compared to NCAA running backs who see 150 to 250 plus carries in their last season. They're they're games missed in the first two seasons of of their nfl career is identical mm-hmm. so you fast forward you look at the second study they looked over 10 years and essentially what they did what it ended up being was they followed these running backs ended up falling into the same higher level buckets or mid-level buckets you had running backs in the nfl who saw 150 to 250 touches per season or the ones who saw 300 plus there was a statistically significant difference guess who lasted in the nfl longer so one who saw yeah, less volume ones that have more volume in the yeah, college the ones who had more volume oh, wow. definitely were there longer so Whoa. at the very least that tells us okay well if they're injury free mileage it probably doesn't mean much of anything so the late bloomer argument not really a lot of evidence behind it mm. or the high mileage jonathan taylor type 
I mean, you see what Jonathan Taylor's doing now, right? And then we know that they last longer in, in the league. So this is a big roundabout way to talk about now where do we go with a guy like Cordero Patterson? You have to look at age and you have to look at uh, to a certain degree, I'd say to a lesser degree, overall injury mileage. He's 31 years old. We know that even running backs who see volume in the passing game and in the running game, they start to fall off around 27. Now, this guy's ridiculous, right? There's not a lot of precedent for what Cordero Patterson has been doing right. his whole life. But I think that the report the Athletics putting out is right on par with what you'd anticipate. I mean, he's 31 going on 32. There's no way he's going to take on a full workload and be effective. I think he was able to hold up some of his production because of that receiving game. And maybe he can be a good, okay contributor, right? But I just don't anticipate having like this massive season, especially at the age of 31. Edwin, can I just really quickly clarify the study you had shared with us there? Because I'm going to hold this moving forward, and I want to make sure I got it right. Essentially, were you saying that the mileage you incurred during your NCAA years is essentially irrelevant and your odometer starts back at zero when you hit the NFL? I mean, yeah. So I would even say there's no odometer, right? I would say the odometer is what are the injuries that this player has sustained and how many games have they been able, have they been able to play in their college season? Mm. The amount of touches a player sees or carries, a running back sees is more so a reflection of their durability mm. and a predictor of their durability. It is not a or a corollary of their durability. It's not a predictor of their durability. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. if they're in the league, if they see a lot of touches in college, they basically are showing you, hey, look, they can take a lot of touches in the NFL. And then they go on and they take a lot of touches in the NFL and they're relevant. So I think that that's been a, a really widely used argument sort of the mileage argument right but it's so much more nuanced than that it's not so it's not like we're nobody's a car it's not like we're looking at a car where everybody's got different miles it's like we're trying to identify which one of these animals out here is a dog and which one is a rhinoceros and like a dog like a dog might i'm saying i'm saying different metaphor i'm going the other way i'm saying (laughs) like I'm saying like a dog would be potentially like fast and quick and bounces around, but like you might, you hit a dog and it's done, but a rhino is just big and meaty and it's doing its thing. And in their college years, we actually get to identify if they're more of like a dog or they're more of like a rhino. And that's what it tells us. That's option three. They got that dog in them. That's option three. Yeah. What, what, what is wild is like looking at the games played for Cordero Patterson. I mean, he's, Almost all but in 2015, he's basically played 15 or 16 games. Like, and and even in 2015, he played 14. So he's been relatively health healthy uh, his entire career, as far as. But again, his usage it's wasn't a, what yeah. it was. But it's a different um, conversation when we're talking yeah. about his carries versus yeah. if he was playing at wide right. receiver. Right. I think I'll say one last thing too, and and I need to do a better job of communicating this too. There's also a big difference between what you anticipate from an injury availability perspective and what you anticipate from a performance perspective, right? And okay. those two often are not the same thing. So can Cordero Patterson take 200 carries and see? you know, 60 targets. Yeah. But what is he going to do with the, with that, that volume and how long is, and how efficient is he going to be? Um, which obviously, you know, if he gets a full slate of carries and you're, he's going to get force fed and he'll be relevant to a certain degree, but these things start to fall off, uh, especially around the age of 31. I mean, the last time we saw a running back over the age of 30 
be in the top 12 for in fantasy football. I'm relatively certain it was like 2017 and it was Frank Gore. So it's just not, it's just not. Dude, Frank Gore still a weird year. Top 12, <laughs> top 12. Frank All Gore's right. Well, team. that we appreciate that a huge big time stuff there from Edwin. So we'll keep uh, plugging along here. Deontay Johnson, uh, the athletic is also reporting that the Steelers won't offer Deontay Johnson anything close to McLaurin or anybody else that got more than 20 million per year. Johnny, is this news or no news for you? Uh, I mean, to me, or most like the the most of this panel, it's not n- not new news. This is what uh, Pittsburgh does with the receivers. They've never paid their receivers. I think they've only done it once, and that was Antonio Brown. And then they learned their lesson, and they're like, "Hey, we're just gonna keep drafting because we're really good at drafting wide receivers." Uh, what I do think is interesting is like there, he's saying that there are a lot of teams out there that do covet. Deontay Johnson and and his ability so that is interesting to me I want to know what those teams are um and and the potential of where he could end up moving uh because that would be yeah that's a interesting case there moving on to another wide receiver the Green Bay Packers Alan Lazard Aaron Rodgers was quoted saying that he's excited about wide receiver Alan Lazard who is getting an opportunity to be a number one wide receiver Austin news or no news here I think a little bit of news I do think it's a little bit of news because this is kind of the first signifier we have seen of who could ultimately be that number one option in Green Bay. We've talked about Sammy Watkins, Randall Cobb, Christian Watson. They traded up to draft him early in the second round. We've expected it to be Alan Lazard, but he's never served this role in the past, which makes it a bit something noteworthy. And so I think that this is also a true statement by Aaron Rodgers. I like the way they framed it in the getting the opportunity. I think Alan Lazard is going to do fine with it. Um, I don't think he's going to lose it, and I think that's all he's going to have to do to probably maintain it. We'll also keep an eye out, though, for Julio Jones and see where he ultimately signs. Absolutely. Well, that kind of wraps up the news and notes. We have some more on Michael Thomas, but we'll get with that when we're talking some of these injuries with some of the other guys. So we'll move right along here. Um, and talk with Edwin Porras. Um, we're excited to have you on the show here. And we're, what we've decided to do is kind of break it down by injury. Um, but we did have a couple questions at the top just to kind of get you going on on where we're at medically. And Austin, I'll let you take it away here. Yeah. So before we jump into the specific injuries, I wanted to just know if you could speak a little on the top level rehabilitation world and how it's evolved over the past decade or two. For instance, ACLs used to be a death sentence or at least something you were concerned by. Now, I'm not going to speak for everybody in the fantasy football world, but we essentially fully expect an ACL injured player to be 100% the next season at some point. And maybe like even in the Cooper Cup case, like he came back even better. Um, I know the NFL also has invested a ton of time and money into studying different effects of different ailments. Concussions got a lot of attention on this, of course. But hamstrings are another one I've heard mention of. Let's find out what really is going on and let's find out ways to decrease the impact of a hamstring injury. So when you look at how injuries and rehabilitation is handled today versus 10 or 20 years ago, what comes to mind, Edwin? So I think it's super interesting. It's kind of like a social experiment. This is the classic example of the general public and it's to no fault of the public, you know, it's no, nobody's fault. What the general public sees in high profile cases they tend to assume, oh, then that's the case for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. When in reality, there are still about 30% of NFL players who never see an NFL field after an ACL injury. Really? On how complicated the injury is. You said what percent? 34? Roughly 30%. 
Whoa. Right? So it depends on what resource you look at. That. Some resources actually show that it's higher. So you look at wow. some work done and to answer your question specifically, what has been the most illuminating things that we've seen, at least from in the NFL world, from what's been able to, what we've been able to learn. And basically if you're drafted in rounds one through four, if your ACL injury doesn't have a meniscus on top of it, right? Multi-ligament. And if you are highly athletic, you are more likely to come back and contribute at it. And if you play offense, I'm sorry, that's the other one. Uh, you are more likely to come back and contribute at the same level that you left. So hmm. a fourth rounder will perform like a fourth rounder, third, like a yeah. third, second, like a second. This is a big reason why I was confident in Saquon last year before he had the fluke ankle injury. And that's, you know, you follow the data, you sniff out those trails and that's what we find. So from that perspective, Cooper cup outlier, right? Allen Robinson, Keenan Allen outlier. I, Allen Robinson didn't even have a, a great year, right? But there's also another really great Adrian study Peterson, done on Peterson. NFL, a total freak of freaking nature that will ne yeah. probably never happen again. And Saquon was the closest thing that we were ever <laughs> going to see, uh, to, to him, uh, to Adrian Peterson I actually drew a comparison about him last year. The, next most athletic running back we've ever seen after Adrian Peterson since Adrian Peterson is Saquon Barkley. Uh, but when you look at studies done on NFL wide receivers, and I can't get the study to upload right now, but I wish I could find the guy's name. It's actually a fantasy football study. And they found that the season subsequent to an ACL injury, it shows much less performance for mm. NFL wide receivers and NFL mm. uh, running backs. So mm. All of those things, I think, are the things that we still have to keep on the forefront of our mind. Unless you have a freak athlete like a Saquon, uh, a freak athlete like, or maybe even like a situational player like Julian Edelman, who's able, able to come back and be productive, Cooper Cup. Unless it's those top tier guys, the first year after an ACL should not anticipate anything special. Mm. Okay. Well, that's it's just usually kind of this. <laughs> yeah, it's usually the second year after yeah. that, right? Yeah. Okay. Usually the second year, sorry, usually the second year after an ACL is when you see that production start to rebound. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit more on the MCL, ACL, PCL connection there? Because I know, you know, I had some questions, but you kind of covered that there and we'll get into ACLs. But just kind of the difference between and some examples that we have recently of those multiple uh, ligaments, as you called them there. Yeah. So essentially the one you're worried about the most is the meniscus and the capsule, the joint capsule itself. There's some data to show that outside ligaments, MCL and LCL ligaments don't actually impact outcomes on a long-term basis. But if you do damage the inside of the cartilage that holds the two, the shin and the, the femur sort of apart, that's that little cushion area. If that tissue is damaged and you need you know, decent amount of repairs, it slows down rehab and the outcomes tend to be worse. So you don't want that. And you don't want, uh, on top of that compiled, compiled with that, you know, capsular damage or even PCL like that, the, the sister ligament of the ACL, you don't want that damage either. Cause that's also another ligament on the inside of the joint. Those injuries, what they do, if you talk about them layer by layer an MCL injury, oftentimes MCLs heal, by themselves they do a really good job they have decent blood flow and they can heal by themselves a lot of times what the medical team will do is if it's an acl plus an mcl they allow that mcl to scar down four to six weeks and they allow it to heal and then they go in and take care of the acl mm -hmm. in terms of the meniscus it's a, it can get a little trickier depending on the extent of the damage the surgeon either goes in there 
cleans it up and sews it up, which is uh, what Saquon Barkley had done. Or in bigger cases, like it sounds like a Logan Thomas type case, they go in there and they either have to take part of it out or they have to uh, sort of restructure it. They have to, in the worst case scenario, take a a big chunk of it out of there, which does not do well at all. Another thing that meniscus damage does from a healing perspective is you have to wait somewhere between four to eight weeks to even put weight on your foot. So to put weight through that knee because you need the tissues to heal. And so that slows down your rehab. And that's what we're seeing with Logan Thomas, for example. I know there are some reports on Robert Tunyon that are that are new showing that they might not know if he's ready. That's probably because he had some meniscus involvement. Saquon Barkley had meniscus involvement and he had 10 months and two weeks to come back. And it was still a little tenuous there in the beginning, right? So the longer you have to rehab and the less uh, complicated the surgery is or the damage is, then the better off you're going to be in the long run. Um, all right. I, I think we could talk to you for hours about like the actual structure. So at least I could, I'm like nerding out hard here, but we got to get to some players. But before we do, I want to talk specifically of a player we didn't even actually bring up Zeke. You know, we've heard that he played through the PCL tear last year. And so you got me thinking here because I've heard like uh, our guy, the pod father, Matt Kelly, talking to his show that if you play through these injuries, you don't get them taken care of right away. You're not the same essentially, or maybe, you know, and he's citing some other work. I want to know your opinion on playing through the injury and what that could mean for them. Who is Matt Kelly siding? I'll get, I, get in Matt's ass. Who, he thinks he's a medical doctor. Who is this guy? I'll tell Podfather on Twitter to, to watch what he's saying. I don't know. Listen, if he didn't get surgery after the season, he probably didn't need surgery. That's just the bottom line. Did he okay. ruin the rest of his career because he didn't get surgery? I mean, no. Guys play through things all the time. You can, you can play up to something like a torn ACL for a game. Like that's possible. It's plausible, especially in this population. So he didn't, he's not doomed for the rest of eternity because he didn't get his PCL fixed. He just looked like crap because he probably felt like crap. Right. I actually go, uh, I, I talked about uh, Ezekiel Elliott versus Derrick Henry. If you go to the injury prone podcast and you subscribe, or, <laughs> yeah, uh, baby, you know, to yeah. my podcast, then you'll hear my discussion where I actually talk about the injury mileage debate, the, the touch debate like what does that mean why does what is it what is the age cliff how does that impact ezekiel elliott and derrick henry so i'm not concerned about zeke as much as i'm concerned about derrick henry perfect i love it thank love you so it. much for appeasing me there well we'll talk about some players with the acl as we were talking a little bit about the acl injuries and the, and the surrounding part of the knee there so Michael Gallup is the first one that comes up, Edwin, and I just want to talk because this is a big one as far as the Dallas offense as a whole, CeeDee Lamb's contribution, and then what we could do is maybe ancillary pieces around Gallup if it, if this rehab is going to take longer uh, than, than you know his optimistic self is saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so here's the other thing, to, right? So I'll get right, right out in front of it. ACL timelines are not cookbook, however – if you talk to, I talked to Dr. Deepak Chona, who was on my podcast as well. He's an orthopedic surgeon. We had, you know, we both had a soapbox about this. If you are, unless you're seven, eight months into an ACL rehab, you don't know if you're ahead of schedule. You don't know if you're behind mm-hmm. schedule. You're kind of oh, just interesting. going with the flow because you're going to have ups. You're going to have ebbs. You're going to have flows. Even up until you're released, you're going to have those same types of ebbs and flows. What I can tell you is that in nine point nine eight percent or not not percent nine point nine eight out of ten cases no medical team is going to release their high level performing athlete before nine months they'll hit that nine month mark because there's a sevenfold increase in risk to re-tear that knee 
in that re- that ligament if you come back before nine months. It's just period, bottom line. Um, so back to Michael Gallup, who says he's ahead of schedule. He's like four months out. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm ahead of schedule, right? He's not even halfway done. So he had surgery from what I remember was, I think, the week of February 14th. Now let's backdate that. He's got nine months from his surgical date. February, let's call it February 14th, which I think is what, like beginning of November, right? Mm. So he's got to be on track. He's got to have isolated ACL. He's got to have everything go exactly the way that he needs it to go to be back by November. Mm. So all these reports of he's ahead of schedule, the same the same thing happened. We saw with Jameson Williams. He was never ahead of schedule. These guys aren't ahead of schedule. They're just on schedule, and that's fine. Mm. Like you can be on schedule and still come back and be okay. But for somebody like Gallup, I'm just, I don't see it this year, especially since I think it's going to be the end of the season by the time he even gets his feet under him, the fantasy season. So I'm just not, I'm just not taking him. That's yeah. good. Good information there. Thank you, Edwin. And we'll talk about Johnny's boy, OBJ here. <laughs> now uh, we've got the retear situation. As you, as you mentioned, uh, you guys can follow this along, follow along. If you're not watching on YouTube, you get the, get it at fantasypoints.com. But he's also come out and said that he basically played without an ACL last year. We've had all these different things come out. How are you feeling about OBJ here, Edwin? You know, same thing. I don't think that he's going to be make any type of, you know, significant fantasy contribution in 2022. Uh, you have the the screenshot up there of what I wrote. Essentially, the nine months that I just spoke about, they most surgeons will push that back another month if it is a retear. And so... Obviously, these NFL athletes are treated a little differently, but if we if they go by the book, then OBJ's on an even later calendar than Michael Gallup. Can I just ask you if you've gone through the process already? Like OBJ had tore his ACL already. Does that help when you're doing rehab because you kind of have an idea of hey, I know what's coming or I know what to expect or I know kind of how to push it or it it's not like it doesn't matter. It's two separate cases. I would say yes and no. It allows you to mentally understand what's coming next, but no injury or surgery is like another. Uh, <laughs> even and we see that with, with patients in the everyday world who, for example, will have one knee replaced. They'll be like, that one was a breeze. It was no issue like i was out and riding my bike again at three or four weeks and they do the next one like a year later and it's stiff it won't move they're eight weeks out they're seeing a pt still twice a week because they can't get their motion back and they're like i don't understand why this is happening Hmm. so your body is just human bodies are complex and there's a lot more to it um there's a lot more to it than than just, you know, I've done it once, so I know what's coming. And now you also extend the chronological timeline just to allow for that integration of that ligament to happen. All right, we'll move on with one of the more polarizing cases, especially in our chat today. People wanted to know about J.K. Dobbins. We've heard some different um, reports from J.K. Dobbins. And now most recently, basically, you know, there might be some concern here. Where is your concern meter, Edwin, if we are on one to ten with J.K. Dobbins? Uh, I don't want to be alarmist because it is still, you know, early July, but it's not great. You know, I, I, I think I'd, I don't know if I had an alarm, I'd call him like a six out of 10 because he was only catching out of the jugs machine when he should have been probably doing a lot more at that point. That's mm. not to say that he's behind. It's not to say that he had a lot of damage, but then you have Harbaugh reporting, you know, oh yeah, he might start on the pup. Harbaugh is one of those guys that is 
very him and Pete Carroll, you know, mm. rose colored glasses. When Rashad Penny tore his ACL plus, you know, Pete Carroll said something along the lines of, well, you know, it, it doesn't look great. He had a little more than, than an ACL. And it ended up probably being a lot more, right? Mm-hmm. So then you think about uh, fast forward to John Harbaugh with Rashad Bateman. And Harbaugh said, uh, I think we're going to give it some time. It's not as severe as we thought. You know, like two hours later, Rashad Bateman's in surgery, right? Getting his joint fixed. So <laughs> these guys, if especially Harbaugh, if he's saying, oh, this guy might start on the pup, then that's not that's not you know that's making my ears perk up a little bit right yeah well hopefully with i think dobbins it's going to be like the the temporary pup or whatever it is for the uh the the preliminary pup but we'll we'll see what happens there no travis he's done for the year okay and your dynasty team is fucked all right that's what it is i don't know if that's what he's saying there but uh we'll we'll let you be the the alarmist there (laughs) i'm gonna do the rose color pete carol yeah right uh no but we'll move on here to jameson williams because i think this was one that we got, you know, uh, some of us, you know, layman's were sitting there looking like, hey, you know, he's 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 confident. Maybe he could be ready. And then, of course, you know, you slap us with the nine month timeline. So nothing really to see here. I think you put 1013, right, Edwin, as, as the earliest he, he'd be back. Nothing to see here. That's right. I, yeah. it's, it's like April or March or April or May. I think that the first reports of him being ahead of schedule were out. And I immediately said, no, there's no way. Uh, there's no way he even knows it's going to be nine months. And now we're getting reports out of Detroit that, yeah, oh, yeah, he, he might not be ready for camp. Well, oh, shocker. We know. <laughs> no shock. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. We're moving on to Chris Godwin because this one has a couple things involved, not just the timeline he's got from the injury. We've got a team that may put off his return here. Um, where are you looking at with Chris Godwin and just a quick update on him? Oh, let's see. Let me read my own writing there. Godwin's projected to complete the nine to 10 three. That's right. Right. And so and we also heard that the Bucks are basically playing it slow. You'll see teams do this or at least they speak like this. Once they sign a guy for a lot of money, then they automatically fall into that sunken cost fallacy, you know, or they're going to, you know, they're going to pay him that money anyway at this point. But it's not to say it's a bad decision. Right. Let's wait for him to get healed up. Uh, they believe in Mike Evans and, and, you know, they just signed, what's his name? Old Russell Gage. And yeah. so I think they're confident in what they have. I mean, if you have Tom Brady, Leonard Fournette in the backfield, I, I think that they're there's basically saying, get you know, get well, get better, come back and we're going to make a deep playoff run. So uh, I think in his specifically, I did say it could be another two to six weeks. And so it really could realistically realistically be like a a Michael Gallup type return for Chris Godwin, mm-hmm. especially if and that's there if they're taking their time, because I did I did read that it was only an ACL. And if he's not having complications and they're pushing it to 10, 10 and a half months, they're really intentionally taking their time, which mm. again, I'm, I see no problem with. Yeah, Tampa Bay right. Buccaneers have a buy in week 11. So it'll be interesting to see if they hold him out all the way till then. Cause that's what I think October 3rd has got to be what around week six. So it'd be an extra like five, six weeks that they could, you know, hold him out. And then if they use that playoff push, it'll be interesting for sure. Yep. All right. And then our last one with the ACLs, John Mechie, which is pr- pretty similar to Jamison Williams on the same team in college. But he his was actually uh, a, lo- a little bit earlier than our guy, uh, Jamison Williams. Correct. So we've got a, a, a quicker timeline. Relative. Um, I do not. Uh, I'm sorry. So Mechie's was I'm relatively certain after at least that's oh, 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 OK. So his Mechie's. Yeah, because Mechie's was in the the. Was it during the college football playoffs? Well, this says it December, and I think I think his was first. 
Yeah, Mechie's was in December, based on your writing here. And then I think. Oh, Mechie had surgery December 10th. I was so confused. Yeah, yeah. Okay, my bad. I no, can't no, read. Yeah, my bad. So <laughs> Mechie has surgery December. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's literally right in front of my face. I just need to read it. Yeah, so September 10th. Yeah. Um, again, depending on if there's a higher level, a higher degree of damage that we're unaware of, it's going to be at least September. I would plan for probably like in October, mid September, like early October return for him at this point. Just conservatively. Sounds good. Well, we'll move on to the Liz Frank injury, and we'll uh, ask you a little bit about this one. Yeah, I wanted to know, starting it off here, Edwin, can you 100% recover from a Liz Frank injury, and does it increase re-injury chances down the road? I bring this up because folks used to sound really nervous talking about Liz Frank injuries, but I'm not hearing as much concern, especially as we see Travis Etienne coming back. It's just straight excitement. I'm not hearing anybody press the pause button or the concern button. I, I think there should be a little bit of uh, awareness with Travis Etienne. Here, there are a couple of things at play with the Liz Frank injury. You can you can 100% recover from it. We have two studies, the primary studies that you look at in NFL players, and what you see is that offensive players have a dip of about 21% production. One study uh, on this found that there is a statistical significance. Another study found that there's no statistical significance. In other words, they both found negative findings for offensive players. One of them validated it. The other one said it's not a statistically significant difference. Hmm. So you got two studies saying, hey, their offense isn't great after this. So then you dig a little deeper. You ask yourself the questions why. And these are really just sort of like mental masturbation. Like you think about it really hard and you think about how smart you are because all your ideas are coming. And you think about like, well, why would that be? Maybe their offensive production was down because they missed a game or two because they were stiff or it was, you know, that they still had hardware in there. And so they didn't want to play for a game or two because it was really bothering them. Okay. That's a possibility. Another possibility is coaching staffs don't believe that they're ready in the first place. So they give them less volume and their production is also less, right? That's another possibility. What's another possibility? Well, their explosiveness just isn't back because mm -hmm. they didn't go through you know, sufficient plyometric training, whatever the power restoration, whatever the case may be. I'm not saying that's the case necessarily, right? But there are a lot of different possibilities as to why uh, this could be the case. And I think that I don't, I don't believe that the surgical procedures have changed all that much. We still use pretty significant uh, hardware, screws and, and nails, essentially, if it's a fracture to keep those bones in place. If you still have that hardware in there, it's sometimes obviously can make it tough and stiff and it doesn't ever truly go away. I think about Marquise Brown in 2020, who was on the injury report seven or eight times with foot slash ankle. That's what I think about. Then we got a report at the end of that season that he got the hardware removed. So these are all thoughts that you're thinking about with Travis Etienne. Now let me back up and talk a little bit more about receptions, right? So you get these running backs who, and credit to my, another physical therapist, Dr. Adam Hutchison. I think he's, uh, his, his Twitter handles the worst, it's like at the real Adam underscore H he's, he's literally the worst, like the worst Twitter handle. I, t I, I hate it. Anyway, <laughs> he found through some research he did on his own. Basically you have grinders, you have all purpose backs, you have satellite backs, and then he actually bucketed all purpose blacks backs plus. And what you got with all purpose backs plus was if they are receivers and they, they see a lot of receiving game, they can hold their rushing game up and be fantasy producers for a longer t amount of time brings us back to Travis Etienne what do we assume Travis Etienne is going to get a lot of receptions right yeah. targets yeah. and so even though you have all these things you're thinking about with the with the historical data with the physio physiological process of, of healing and with the fact that hey man this guy hasn't played football in two years right you take all that into account but you understand that you're taking on a relative risk 
I have no problem taking him as like in like the third, fourth round. Here's the thing, though. I would not take him as like my only running back. I have faith that he can be a top 15-ish contributor. I'm not going to go as far to say that I'm confident that Travis Etienne is a top 10 running back. I just I just wouldn't take it that far. It's an interesting dynamic when we talk about ETN because it's basically saying like if you go RB robust, yeah, grab him. If if you're gonna go like more zero mm-hmm. IB or like sprinkle in a hero RB and then get him, um, you know, it's the the roster construction is an interesting thing to bring in there, Edwin, and I appreciate you doing that. Okay, let me I, tell I, you I, one more thing about Travis oh, Etienne. Yeah, yeah. And here are my um my tiers. I told you that I'm working on that they're gonna be published over at FantasyPoints.com. So lo and behold, Jonathan Taylor is still um, is still at the top. He's the number one running back in fantasy. He's also the number one most durable running back based on his injury history. I, ha- I separate these tiers out into green, yellow, and red. And it's all very, you know, it's very straightforward. So I have sub tiers within that. And I have the green tier ends with DeAndre Swift. Yellow tier starts with Nick Chubb. I, the yellow tier ends with Alvin Kamara, starts with Travis Etienne. Or the the second half mm. of the yellow tier starts with Travis Etienne. So I'm not quite putting him in you know the red light tier where I'm worried and concerned, but he is in a tier, a sub-tier of the yellow, uh, yellow division, yellow tier, that at least makes you think a little bit about it and makes you discern what the other options are around him. Mm. Can I ask, is... With the list, Frank, because we we do have some cases where, you know, it was a like sprain list, Frank injury versus, you know, some were just straight up breaks. Is there a, a correlate? You know, we often hear like, oh, it's better that he broke his ankle as opposed to just spraying it because you can repair it better and, and get back more healthy. Is that the same with list, Frank, or, or is it like, you know, basically um, the not quite right so you can have grades of injuries and these these injuries are subdivided into a lot of different you know smaller to keep it sort of big picture you can have a sprain which is typically just what it sounds like it's the ligament that holds the bone in the middle of the foot together those you know comp that ligament complex you can sprain those ligaments but everything remains in place or you can have a sprain and a complete tear of the ligament complex that displaces the bones right they're out of place or you can have a fracture dislocation of the bones in which case a lot of times you're going to have to go in there and get it pinned so if it's a sprain like evan ingram had in 2019 i want to say then you can let it heal you give it some time it comes back joe mixon had the same thing in 2020 and or was it yeah 2020 so these things can heal i would I would usually push back that, oh, good thing you fractured it so you can get surgery. I would say that's not a good thing. Mm, okay. We'll stick with the um, with the sorry, <laughs> with the Jack- Jaguars. Jaguars. Yeah. But we're gonna talk about an Achilles here because and we're gonna get into this section. So eventually tee it up to Cam Akers. Talk James Robinson here though, and where we're at with him because that's also part of the Travis Etienne story, right, Edwin? Like where where James Robinson is at. So where are you feeling about this situation and, you know, maybe just a higher level Achilles injury take in general? Yeah, so first we'll start with when we're expecting him back. The NFL average to come back from an Achilles injury is about nine months. What Cam Akers did was bananas. I don't know if we'll see that again. Hey, we could. I don't know. But we do expect him back roughly the eight or nine month mark. That puts him August, September-ish. Depending on what the Jaguars want to do, 
they'll either put him out in training camp or they won't. And I think that especially with a lot of these teams, we're going to know a lot more once training camp rolls around just because we're the dudes are either going to be on the field or they're not. And then they're going to have, you know, coaches will have to answer questions. So when it comes to James Robinson, this is another reason, another sort of feather in the cap for Travis Etienne. James Robinson, he's a great athlete on his own, but he's an undrafted free agent. Um, even though there's some weird reports saying the Jaguars want to feed him, like this isn't the same coaching staff that you know came in with with James Robinson. On top of the fact that despite all the cam what the cam makers truthers want you to believe, there is no good data showing that an athlete the caliber or a player the caliber of James Robinson has ever returned and done well after an Achilles injury. Right? You lump that all into the big picture of James Robinson and it makes you feel better about drafting Travis Etienne. Now I hope all that is wrong. I hope that James Robinson comes back, smashes RB one, gets a massive contract, makes a lot of money. And then his whole life and his whole family is completely changed. And Edwin was wrong. I get to cry in the street uh, with the sound of my cash app. That's really just going to be an <laughs> Robinson family, uh, telling me how wrong I was. I hope that happens. I don't see it happening. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I want to throw in there because we're talking a lot about the Jaguars backfield right now and a name I don't see mentioned really in the fantasy football world at all is Snoop Connor. And don't the Jaguars Austin, traded Austin, up. don't do this to yourself. Austin, don't do this to yourself. No, you know, Edwin, I'm gonna do this to myself because <laughs> I've been on James Robinson's dick since he came into the league, and I've watched everybody be like, he's an undrafted free agent. Yeah, he's an RB1, bitch. Like he is an RB1. He is kicking ass. Oh, and then it's a new coaching regime that's taking James Robinson on, and Carlos Hyde is over there. Well, that shifted pretty damn quick because James Robinson is that good, man. Like, and it's not about this though. Because James Robinson is fine, whatever. But so is Snoop Connor, at least looking at his... No, Austin, you only cared after you drafted him in Dynasty. I only drafted him because of James Robinson connection, but then I got to take a look at him a little bit closer. And the work he produced at Ole Miss was good. And this is the first running back selected by this new regime. And I know it was the fifth round, but they did trade up to go and get him. And the first initial reports haven't been bad at all all so i'm just saying as a deep flyer low way down on your redraft like snoop connor could be a guy who is he's the only guy not coming off of major injury and major rehabilitation in that backfield and it's the first running back selected by this brand new regime i'm just saying keep hey, in mind a little bit at the bottom of your drafts to austin's point though like for a uh, Look at what uh, Doug has done in the past. Like he's used guys like Corey Clement and like he uses these three kind of running backs that all are do a specific job and it's not just tied to one guy. So uh, there is there is some truth to what Austin's saying. No, I, I don't good, know if I, I don't know if Snoop, for, I don't know if Snoop is that guy, but. Uh, he's I got a great name. name so. He's got a great yeah. name. All right. Well, we got to get you out of here soon. So I want to rapid fire through these ankle injuries here because we've got some big names in here. And the the top of the list is Michael Thomas. And there was recent news with Michael Thomas, Edwin, that he had a video where he was running, but then the, the team doesn't know when he's going to be back. And it's all up in the air. And he's had so much time off. Where do you stand on the Michael Thomas saga? I think this is a time where it would be disingenuous for me to say that I know because I, I don't know. Mm. I have no idea. Uh, he's coming back from an injury that was Thomas two years knows. old. Yeah. I don't think Michael Thomas knows he's posting videos. Who knows? Those videos could have like, here's the thing. I think people get hype or not hype from videos. Video could have been six months old. Video video could have been taken, you know, Ooh. five minutes before he posted it. Like 
we have no clue. Mm. No clue what's going on. So I'm going to put a newspaper in that video. Yeah. Yeah. So will he come back and smash, you know, like the Michael Thomas that we saw? That's unlikely. I don't think that's that's possible. But he should not still be rehabbing from an ankle injury that happened two years ago. As a physical therapist, I'm telling you, that should not be happening. That That's not a thing. So I don't know what's going on. That is weird. We'll move on to your guy, the, the man after your own heart, Saquon Barkley here, and talk a little bit about how you're feeling about Saquon. You said you're back in on him again this year. Back in, baby. He's our, he's our baby. Let's go. Saquon. Let's go. I was never out. I was never out. I was never out. out. <laughs> I was just looking. I swear. I was just I wasn't even looking. I wasn't even looking. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. You get a generational talent, an athlete who has not been as versatile or as athletic since Saquon. I'm sorry. I'm excited. I'm, I'm getting stumbling over my words. I've been up since 5 a.m. Here's the deal. <laughs> Saquon Barkley is the most athletic running back in the NFL that we've seen since Adrian Peterson. What did Adrian Peterson do in 2012 after he tore his ACL? He came back and smashed and probably had one of the the single most impressive NFL season that a running back has ever had. So you look at the fact that he's that athletic. You follow the data. Or the data, this isn't my opinion. The literature shows you that if a dude is an offensive player, if they're picked in the top four rounds, and if their surgery is minimally complicated, they are going to be able to return to form. You also look at the fact that he came back. He had 10 and a half months. Most data and outcome measures would show exactly how functional a player can come back. Most of those peak around 18 months. He's going to be two years removed from that. If you were worried about the ACL, which I wasn't, I was all in uh, last year. You should not be worried about it this year. It's not an excuse. His offensive line is an excuse. Remember all those conversations we had about passing down work. That's not going to matter. Weeks one through four, he finished as the RB 10, despite the fact that in week one, he played 48% of snaps week Hmm. two through weeks, two through four. He played 84% of snaps. He saw six targets, seven targets, and seven targets. He scored 21 fantasy points and 29 fantasy points in week four. Then in week five, what happened? Nothing with a compensatory injury. I get so tired of hearing that compensatory injury. Like, what does that even mean, right? Like, what is that? Do you get a compensatory pick in the NFL draft because you have a compensatory? That's such a dumb thing. He stepped on a defender's foot. He wasn't even in on the play. Why was his foot there? Good question. He <laughs> stepped on a defender's foot, rolled his ankle, steamrolled the rest of the season. The rest of the season, he didn't see any more than 60% of the snaps. You didn't know if it was him or uh, Devontae Booker getting up out of the pile. It was one of the saddest <sighs> moments of my NFL fandom life. Here's the deal. The dude is going to get passing down work. He is 25 years old. He's in the literal prime of his career. He is one of the most versatile running backs in the NFL from an open space perspective. Mm. When he, we saw what he could do with passing down work when he ran that little wheel route, I think it was week three or four uh, before that injury. And he took it to the house. This guy is special. And because he's been injured from an ACL and an ankle injury before that, the year before that, a high ankle injury, people are out on him. Do not be out on Saquon Barkley. He is worth any type of risk you think you're taking on. And I'm telling you in a very similar fashion to Christian McCaffrey, you are not taking us taking on as much risk as your mm. heart is telling you from the, from the money that you lost last year. I love that. Do it. Just going on. You hooked me. A, I got, I got, you know, Travis, you know, I got the goosebumps <laughs> when you said that last one, because it's a logically sound argument. And I love the way it removes some of that emotion that we are very much throwing in here. I mean, you started off the show saying that one of your most unpleasant fantasy football experiences was related to Saquon Barkley because of how he burned you. And so those burns cut deep, they burn deep, but 
if the logic actually is is suggesting you really don't have as much to be concerned about, this bumps him into the first round category. Like, you're muted there, Edwin. Sorry, I'm muted myself. Um, no, absolutely. And in some places, I've seen him go in the third round. Uh, yeah. He, he, I more, I'm more than willing to take Saquon in in the in a top ten pick. And so, if mm. I'm starting a draft, I don't know. You asked me, you know, at the beginning, like where do I want to draft from? Wherever I can go, something like Justin Jefferson, uh, Tyreek Hill, and then for whatever reason, Saquon falls. Right, that's what I want to do. Like I want to go in that draft. That's what. That's my. The, Spot that I want to pick from because if I can get Saquon Barkley in the third round, then I'm totally happy with that. I don't yeah, think I'll stay there. I, I think it'll well, be, no, I, I think, think he's be. the guy by August. We've been saying it now for a few weeks that he's just a guy you're not going to be able to get ADP there. Riser. So best ball for sure, definitely be smashing him where you can right now. Um, and I think you know I, I I love Saquon and as Edwin says, you know Edwin, he's burned me twice, dude. Yeah. I've had him in both of the <laughs> years. I get but it, I'm, I get I'm, it. I'm, 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 re- Woo, I gotta tell you, man, I'm getting a little nervous right now because I'm, I only say things that I mean, and I am getting ready for heartbreak round three. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, it's it's Michael here. Okay, Scott, I'm gonna, you're, I'll tell you, ready to be heard I'll again. Tell you, I'll tell you this. I'm not going to try to pull the wool over anybody's eyes and say that he's not an injury risk just based on re-injury rates, right? But the re-injury rate, I just went through this tonight. The re-injury rate for a lateral ankle sprain is about 8%. You see about 8% of those Mm, recur over the next year. And it's not a big risk for me, right? In terms of the ACL, he's obviously over that. And he didn't have any type of soft tissue injury, even though he was eased back into work last year. I will read you the beginning of my yellow light tier. It's basically into two different subdivisions of the yellow light tier. Uh, my yellow light tier is Nick Chubb, Ezekiel Elliott, Austin Eckler, Aaron Jones, Christian McCaffrey, and Saquon back-to-back, Alvin Kamara. If you can tolerate an Alvin Kamara risk or an Austin S. Eckler you know, risk, I try to be as objective as possible with these uh, tiers that I have. going to be published on fantasypoints.com. Eventually, they're not finalized yet. But if you are willing to take on the risk of any of those guys you should be more than willing to take on the risk for Saquon and, and Christian McCaffrey. Well, and that's that's leading me into Christian McCaffrey because we've got Christian McCaffrey yeah, smack dab at 102 and ADP, and yet we've got this big discount for Saquon. So you talked about re-injury rate. You talked about some of these other things with, you know, when, when we're looking at CMC, obviously the ceiling has been, at, you know, astronomical with CMC and his points per game and his usage. And now we've got the Baker situation where that could upgrade our guy CMC maybe too with more opportunities. How, where are you at with CMC? Baker reaction is, is cracking. Is it kind of the same situation as Saquon for you uh, with CMC? No, yeah, it is. I mean, if you take it back to college, from Stanford through his first three seasons in the NFL, take a look at this, listen to this. He missed one game the best predictor for future health is previous health in the very similar vein the best predictor for injury is an injury history now that also applies with some caveats when the bigger picture is telling us that for three nfl seasons christian mccaffrey didn't miss any games and didn't have any significant injuries then he has this what you would i would call regression you know he boom got hit with the high ankle boom got hit with the AC joint sprain. Boom, turn around, had the quad strain, probably because of his workloads going up and down, right? Mm-hmm. You also consider the fact that the next year, last year in 2021, he had the hamstring followed by the lateral ankle sprain. Guess what the top, I'm going to let you all guess, The t- put your brains together, what are the top three injuries to 
NFL running backs? What body by separate them by body region? What do you think the top three injuries are? I'd say hamstring, right? Leg. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hamstring's one. Head. Concussions. Not quite head. Nope. Okay. All right. Uh, Next. I've said them all. There's your. I've said them all. That's going to be ankle. That's going to be your guess. Ankle. One more. Foot. Yeah. Nope. I guess that's knees. Shoulders. Oh. Now, what injuries has McCaffrey had since 2020? He's had all three of those. <laughs> a shoulder and ankle. It's like had, Humpty Dumpty, dude. Shoulders, knees, and toes. Together again. That's right. Shoulders, knees, and toes. Another player who has had a very similar pattern uh, is is let's uh, let's look at this. I mean Saquon Barkley. He had he's had a high ankle sprain, right? I mean, you look at these guys and their injury patterns are very very similar. They happen. They just happen. Injuries happen to NFL running backs. They're going to get injured. If you don't like Christian McCaffrey, then you just don't like taking running backs and the risk that comes associated with them because he's uh, the extreme end of running backs, right? So let's I'm, go. I'm going all in anytime. Dude, you just you just churched it. If you don't yeah. like the injury concern of a running back, don't draft a running back. Don't draft him. That's right. Yeah, yeah that's why him. we see zero RBers because they're scared. Go to yeah. church, that's right? Because they're because they're wussies. All right. Well, we um, we've got you past the time we said we got we had one more question. I don't know if, if that's all right, Edwin, on, on hamstrings. Yeah, go ahead. I'm just trying to get my contact out of my eye. <laughs> yeah, just go ahead and brush your yeah. teeth and do yeah, what you're you do. Yeah. <laughs> it was a very impassioned Saquon and, and CMC uh, rant, and so it made yeah, my contact yeah. knock out. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Which question? All right, I'll jump into this one here. Hamstrings happen all the time, it seems. We're getting, you know, whether it be Christian McCaffrey missing a significant amount of time. Amari Cooper gets a hamstring injury and then pops back in later that game. It's like an injury that I'm baked, I'm preparing emotionally for a couple of months. <laughs> but, that's not, but that's not always the case. So with that buildup, I was hoping you could speak a little bit on where we're at with hamstring injuries and what we as fantasy players should keep in mind. So I think that's a really good question, actually, that what we should keep in mind with hamstring injuries. And I think the first thing you should keep in mind is they're going to happen, right? They're more common in wide receivers. They're usually Mm. injuries that happen on a non-contact basis. You don't usually have injuries that hamstring injuries that extend past, you know, like two to four weeks. But they do happen, right? And I do actually have some hamstring data that I'm trying to open up here as long as my computer is cooperating. So I calculated hamstring injury rates from 2016 to 2019. I tried to find any type of trend or you know recurrence rates or anything like that. And basically what, what I found is uh, 70, well, not 73, I'm sorry. Anytime that a skill player goes down with a hamstring strain, 33% of player of skill players miss one game 15 percent miss two games eight percent miss three games and about 10 percent miss four plus games um, if you look at that in a different way basically what you have is they miss an average of 1.42 games so you know two games um, the median the midpoint is 1.6 so you got to bump that to two right they're either going to miss you know, a median of two. And then the most frequent amount of time missed by players is just one game. Here's where you have to be careful. If your player, if your hamstring, the guy coming off a hamstring, let's say they hurt it on a Sunday play on a Thursday. I'm looking at you, Keenan Allen. This was like 20, <laughs> it was 2020. Um, 
do not plan on a productive day. I would I would say that's one of the few arguments of this against start your studs. If you have a dude who goes down on a Sunday and you need points on a Thursday, like you need the points on a Thursday, don't trust that this guy's going to either play as much as you think or get the volume or not re-injure. Because the last thing that I'll leave you with here in terms of hamstrings is 71% of recurrences happen within the same season, right? So there's a chunk of percent occurrences that happen overall of that chunk. 71% of them happen in the same season, more than likely because guys try to come back too soon. So looking at you, Adam Thielen, 2019, looking at you, Keenan <laughs> Allen, 2020, right? It happens every year with at least one dude. So, so we don't see the it? person who falls in it. What's that? Should we should we consider it more as like a, a kind of death sentence then? Like if, for for like a inside like our insider uh, trade secrets here. Like if we ever see one of our uh, players get a hamstring injury, should we then look to try to trade them as soon as they come back and potentially perform? Or no, I would say no because it's okay. only for that period of time. I always okay. say. If they can make it, I, I talk to, I, I tell the fantasy point subscribers, high ankle sprains, you don't want to target MCL sprains. You want to target AC okay. joints sprains. You want to target hamstrings. If they make it over that, you know, over that hump of that seven to 10 days chronologically, and they've stayed healthy. Is there a chance for occurrence? Yes. But if it's somebody like Keenan Allen, if it's somebody like Mike Evans, if it's, you know, somebody like Justin Jefferson, I mean, you're going to take that risk on every single day of the week if somebody's afraid of, of rostering them the rest of the season. So, no, I would not say that a hamstring strain is a death sentence. I would say that if it's a very quick turnaround and they're trying to press it, then I'd, I'd be careful with that. I'd be careful okay. with that. Super insightful because if yeah. you get a situation where a team is chasing a playoff run and yeah. they've got their dude they like to lean on and you see them – well, he's looking really good in injuries. He might be ahead of schedule. It's like, oh, injury, injury. Here it comes. Yeah. I take advantage of my league mates all the time. Now they've gone to know me, unfortunately. <laughs> I pray awesome. on them. They no, longer, they no longer let me pray on I, I Sometimes I get trade. I'll send a trade. Uh, and this is how I know that they've caught on to me. I'll get a trade and then immediately get a text. Why don't you want that person? Or yeah. 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 Like yeah. if there's an injury Shout involved, out. it yeah. happens almost every single time. Yeah. Yeah. I can't it's get away with trade with you. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. Edwin, we took advantage of your knowledge today, and we are all smarter for it. We just greatly appreciate it. We've got the chat saying they're taking notes. They, they appreciate it in a big way. Let the people know where they can find you and what you're working on. Yeah, so at FB Injury Doc is the Twitter handle. I have a newsletter that is totally free. The whole point is to stop scouring Twitter and Google and, you know, asking Grandma Betty Sue what Saquon Barkley's injury is or, you know, what <laughs> what happened to Ben Roethlisberger this this week. Just subscribe to my newsletter. You're going to get direct answers immediately with timelines and data, return points, stuff like that. You're going to get it right to your inbox. Make sure you go to FB, at FB Injury Doc on Twitter, sign up for that newsletter, and then subscribe to my podcast. Where you, If you want to hear me ramble like this more frequently, it's not as long, I promise. It's like <laughs> 10 minutes long. Uh, go, subscribe to the Injury Prone Podcast. Um, yeah, that's about it. That's all I got. Love it. Love it. Appreciate awesome. you guys. Well, Edwin, we appreciate it so much. For Johnny Game Time Hicks, for Austin Sear, I'm Big Travi. We're the Fantasy Whispers. We'll see you next week. Peace. Baker Mayfield pants off. Right here. Hey, do you like mock drafts? We do too. You can come back every Monday and mock with us. Check out one of these videos and make sure you're liked and subscribed.